0: Fitting back to the open side, Karim Bethe, up to go here to Salmon who's quick, Pete Salmon looking for Karim Bethe, back to Salmon. oh that is wonderful, that is wild, that is amazing from the world. I
1: mean. Welcome to Pick and Drive Rugby, where the people's podcast providing a platform for rugby lovers to come together and support the game that's played in heaven. I'm your host Ando and with me is Mitch and Lockie and tonight we will be covering the Super W Grand Final, Super Rugby Pacific Round 11, Match of the Round Rebels versus Brumbies and Eddie Jones' Wallaby Watch. So I'm very excited to be here but particularly like obviously you've got both Mitch and Lockie but Lockie we're going to start with you because last week you were pretty cocky and you were pretty happy about how the Reds had performed and got up over the Waratahs. Mate how are you feeling two losses on the one weekend got to be a hard one to come back to
0: how swiftly the mighty fall and how swiftly the mighty fall it has been a fall from grace i'll admit i've my tail up and now it's firmly between my legs after two really really convinced we were in it to win it and we ultimately got blown away by fijiana the exact same thing that happened to us happened to you the week prior and i'll just have to <laughs> eat humble pie in the corner but aside from what? two losses i'm doing very well how about you mitch how are you and mate? there
2: we go mitch yeah very good um Tars won last night got to watch the game at 1:30 a.m or some crazy time like that so there's not much better things to be doing at that time of day than watching new south wales beat queensland
1: now, Mitch, we actually need to jump on in here because um, there was a bit of a debate going on a bit earlier before we hit record. Uh, not about what we're doing with my dog's balls, but more about the time that your family served dinner mm. at the thing that you went to on Saturday night. So you arrived at what, 6 or 7 p.m. was it 7 yeah, p.m.? 6.30 or something, yeah. 6.30, okay. And you didn't have dinner served until 10 he am lucky. You go to a family's, uh, family's member's house and they don't serve dinner until 10. What do you do? What are you thinking?
0: Well, you give them a half-arm penalty and probably <laughs> let them reset and play on.
1: Mm. Um,
2: mm. Well said.
0: With an extent like that, but that is, that's a rough trot waiting that long for dinner I'd be I'd be getting well we did have feet, the royal, the Mitch was
2: coronation good. on as well so I don't know if that might have delayed things a little bit I, I was itching to see what the rugby score was I did sort of suss sus out the the TV sitch they didn't have Stan they didn't have access to, to live TV to get it on Channel 9 either so no no luck there unfortunately Geez, and knowing your in-laws, they're South African as well, so there's even more
1: conversations that need to be had about the lack of access to stand sports. (laughs) But why don't we leave it there? Your in-laws are great. I like them. So, we'll move on (laughs) into the actual rugby that we are talking about now. And, uh, Mitch, we have some tipping that we need to cover for the weekend, and everybody wants to see where you've moved to in the ladder.
2: Moved to? Well, I don't think I've actually moved anywhere at all. Last week, I was 141, and I'm still in 141. So, I haven't gone anywhere. I haven't gone down, so I'll take that as a victory in of itself. Went for the upset today and, and backed the Rebels, and I was looking pretty good for a little while there and, and end up not going my way, but that would have maybe moved me up a few points. But well done, has to be shouted out to Jojo Rabbit or Dan G, who's still in first place and has been for the last few weeks. He's got his his first place sort of tightly held at the moment, followed closely by Paul F. or S Blanco in second place. Uh, Followed by Ferjo Ferjo T. So um, well done to all three of those players. We've we've had those names up there in in the top three for a Mm. while now. So if you are interested in joining us, I mean, there's only what four rounds left of Super Rugby Pacific. Um, If you probably still beat Mitch, you can probably still. Well, I'm not doing that bad. There's over 300 people, so I'm not. I'm like less than halfway. So I'm not going as bad as everyone keeps saying I am. But if if everyone does want to join us, if you are on the platform and doing your own thing, you can find us, uh, our code is ZEP94K8A, if that helps. Otherwise, you can just search for Pick and Drive Rugby and we'll come up as well. Brilliant. Well, thank you everybody who has continued to
1: get involved. And as always, we have two simple calls to action. Join our Discord channel to be a part of the best Australian rugby community going around. The link is in any of our social media profiles. And lastly, please consider going to ko-fi.com slash rugby and supporting us with a one-off or monthly payment. Every little bit counts. Thank you in advance. Well, without any further ado, let's jump on into things with the Super W, Super w final and Super Rugby Pacific round 11. That's let's cool. go.
2: Okay, it's time to talk Super W Grand Final, and there has been an upset. We were all sitting here last week and talking up the chances of the Queensland Reds women's team playing the final in Townsville, somewhat of a home game for them, but not good enough this week. The Fijiana draw have gone back-to-back 38-30 to over the Queensland Reds. Lucky, we'll start with you. What happened? What happened? Oh,
0: the Fijiana just too good on the counter, as we saw against the Tars, as we saw yesterday, if you were watching, what was a really good game. And I'm glad that that was, got, that was able to be showcased across the country and across the Pacific as well, because it was a really, really good game of rugby. For mine, there was that 10 minute block in the second half after really evenly balanced first 40, where Fiji Arna just exploded. You know three tries in under ten minutes, and from there the Reds just couldn't couldn't catch up no matter how many points they could score. So credit to Fijiana. But in the grand scheme of things, can we say we're surprised when we've seen over the past twenty four months what Fijiana can do? Probably not.
2: And it's the we've spoken earlier this season around kind of the Fijiana Drua's approach to this season and how they had the changeover, and they struggled with some of the games early. Do you think this was a bit of a uh, like the right time? The team finding their scraps come finals time and really pushing to to do. Uh, to obviously they've taken the chocolates and then won, caused a few upsets along the way. Do you think it's more of that, or do you think that the fijiano Drua team have sort of changed the style of the they've played in this final series?
1: Look, I think um, what Lockie was saying last week about the directness that the Fijiana team were playing with was really uh, insightful because when you look at the early games by Vendrua, and remember, they didn't have a particularly strong kind of um, regular season. They only crept in in fourth place out of a a five-team, six-team series. So, like, they they weren't great. Um, And they basically went away from the wide playing game, just trying to go left to right across the field and go around the teams to actually just trying to bash them up, up the middle and then be trusting the offloads and obviously worked last week. And this week, there were a couple of tries that they were so fortunate that um, ball bounced a certain way or when it spilled loose, it spilled backwards and there were no accidental offsides or anything like that. There were a few moments where you just go, those are like, 30, 70 chances, and the 30 went their way, kind of thing. Um, but they played themselves into those opportunities by being willing to throw the balls and make those passes. And the Reds, much like the Waratahs, just probably to a greater extent, I think, and I'm, I'm trying not to be um, harsh here, I just don't think we're able to put up with that. Um, up-the-guts approach that the Fijiana team were taking before then spreading it out wide and doing some incredible offloads. So, look, full credit. They they were amazing, really, really great. And that, like you mentioned, that 10-minute period was just so, so dominant that no matter what the Reds could do with a glorious cross-field kick um, to result in a try kind of late on within the second half, it wasn't enough to get back.
2: And you were pretty salty last week after the the Waratahs women got kicked out at Concord in the semis. Do you feel a little bit better this week that the drawer went on to win it, beat Queensland? You know, you were saying losing to the to the eventual winners probably helps a little bit. Do you feel better? Do you feel aggrieved? Oh, look, yeah, but no, because much like, I mean,
1: all of us we're we we're, um, we're super rugby fans, and then we're Wallabies fans. For for the women's competition, we're obviously super rugby fans, and then Wallaroos fans as well. And so I, I did want the Reds to win because of the growth and the opportunity and the, um, the added experience that would give the Reds players as they're stepping up into the Walleries outfit as well. So I wanted them to come away with the win. Um, but look, it does mean the Warriors went down to the champions. So that's something, <laughs> that's something to take away and does make last week it's just that little bit easier.
2: And Lockie, what learnings do you think this Reds team will take out of this final? Do you, this is their first appearance in the Super W final um since Andrew has been included back in the comp, what things do you think that they will have learned from this experience?
0: Oh, well, what's the old anecdote? You've got to lose one to win one. They say a lot in club footy, at least, because I guess my teams used to lose a lot. But I think you'll I think you'll find <laughs> that they'll take a lot of experience and learnings out of the pressure that they faced and the the pressure that the Drew were able to put them under with that quick ruck turnover with their punch and spread that was so effective both in the semi and in the final. But we also saw people that weren't necessarily in starting roles really stand up and have a huge game in the final. So I was really impressed with Alana Elisea, at 13 for the Reds. She had a breakout game yep. to mine and really punched through what was a strong, drew a back line. I was, again, impressed with elements of Helena's, Helena Young's game, although she had a couple of errors as well, which she'll learn from. And Kara's Dowlinger and Diane Heaney, the Kiwi combo that came across, what a great opportunity now for Kara's Dowlinger to have played in a semi and in a final and now be eligible for Wallaroo selection, which is a massive turn of events given. We're missing our number one fly half, Arabella McKenzie over in the UK. So there's, there's plenty to take away from the Reds. I thought for them to be able to try and scramble back in the way they did was positive too. And I will... I really expect them to be pushing for a top two spot again next year. So I'm very proud of them. Disappointed, but lots of positives to take away too.
2: And do you think this was the final that this Super W season deserved? No, because Waratah's winning it. <laughs> what a dumb question.
0: <laughs> That's called a loaded question.
2: <laughs> now answer the question. You been hanging out in the
0: press box too much, Mitch. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'm the one that keeps getting trouble in press boxes for wearing more Waratahs jersey, I've been told off. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, was, what was the question? Is it the final that the competition deserves? Well, I guess is this the well, standard I mean, yeah, final that we were
2: expecting <laughs> considering the growth that the Super W competition has taken this year?
1: Yeah, look, it was a good game and um, it had had really strong moments from both teams throughout the match. So I think there are moments that both teams will obviously be able to take away, like that opening that opening try um, to the red 13, elisana I've said that wrong, that but I don't have it up in front of me anymore. Um, was thank you. LSI, thank you. It um, was great. I think that there were some moments that showed that there's still a long way to go for, um, for rugby in Australia, women's rugby in Australia. So, one of the one of the Kiwi tries, uh, not one of the Kiwi tries, what am I saying? One of the Fijiana tries came after the Reds, just dropped the ball off and, like, just dropped it cold, knocked it on, and then just kind of, like, stood there and watched it, and the Fijiana team picked it up, and then, like, a couple of passes later, they're through for a try. And you're like, you've just knocked it on, just dive on the ball, force the scrum reset, and then go yeah. from there. Don't give the Fijiana team that unstructured yeah. play. And it was just those kind of um, moments of inexperience and a lack of kind of game awareness that show that there's still growth, still a lot of growth that um, our women need. And obviously, I mean, that comes through playing more, comes through training more, comes through being paid to body play so you can dedicate more time to it as well. Um, so there's a whole host of things, but in a general sense, really, really enjoyable game. I recommend that people do go back and watch it. Appreciate it for what it is
2: and hope for what it could be. Do either of you have anything you wanna talk about the game specifically before we move across to maybe some some future discussions of what's happening next?
0: Yeah, feeding, feeding really quickly off what um, Andrew good. hinted at. Just the ability to attack from turnover possession was the standout difference between the sides. We talk about the Drewers' ruck speed and how effective they were with their punch and spread, but those tries are counter-attack. They're off errors, and that 48th minute try, when it turns over, that's Helena Young looking for all money to be able to spread it wide to the left, and it turns over instantly. You've got a back rower... And a prop running through and scoring 60 meter tries it's a testament to the athleticism of the fijiana players and that also feeds into that professional aspect that really we want to see the super w at give it a few more seasons and these women are going to be the superior rugby athletes in the world for a women's domestic competition we've seen how successful it is over With the um, Allianz Premier Fifteens in the UK, we can be at that standard. It just needs time and investment. I'm really hoping someone can get on board, or anyone can get on board and support that competition because it's the ceiling is massive. It's enormous.
2: Well, that probably leads us into my next question quite well. And it's a, I guess, the answer of why this isn't happening is is that um, private equity or the money side of things. But what's been spoken about from fans is what we need to see is a crossover. Competition in future years. Now, if the Fijiana Drua, who are the winners of Super Rug- Super W twenty twenty three, were to play the winner of the Super Rug- Super Rugby Alpiki, uh, the Matatu, is that Matatu. how you pronounce it? Yeah. How do you see, Lucky? How do you see that one going? If that if that was to be played, maybe next week, um, that final, the kind of the crossover final. Which team do you think would come away with the Chockeys?
0: I'd have to say Matatu at a pinch. But, I mean, the Super Rugby Arc Picky competition, for any of you listeners or you guys who've managed to catch any of the games, it is a higher standard than Super W at this point in time. And realistically, uh, the Chiefs, Manoa, were unlucky not to win that final. They had a kick in front and just shanked it to win that final. And the Chiefs were by far the dominant team. So realistically, I think potentially the Drua and maybe the Tars and Reds would be fighting for a top four spot if you're crossing over at the moment there is still that step apart it's quite similar to the divide that we're currently seeing form wise with super rugby pacific so i think realistically if we want the competition to grow it has to happen that crossover has to happen but don't expect instant results for the likes of your melbourne rebels potentially your force and your brumbies because there is a serious standard shift
2: yeah yeah well said and um I guess the the other element too is moving forward we've got uh the Wallaroos play their first test of 2023 in 2 weeks against the Fijiana uh are they just Fijiana is that what they call them um, yeah Fijiana so. um at Allianz before the Tars game how many of these reds players do you think will make up that starting 15 or maybe 23 for for the, the Wallaroos yeah
0: It's tough. You'd have to to think the likes of Shannon Parry as captain incumbent. She'll be in there. You're thinking Mm -hmm. probably Annabelle Cody's on form for Locke, Cecilia Smith and Ivania Wong. So I'd say there's at least four that are making up that side. But could we see a Karis Dallinger or a Helena Young parachuted into that side? What about someone um, like Renee Nona? Who's gaining experience a little more? She's probably got more time, but I'd expect to see probably four in the starting side, maybe six in total for the matchday squad. Yep.
2: And how do you and how are you expecting yeah. that game to to play out?
1: Yeah, look, um, it's basically just going to be the Fijian and Drua team just in a national strip. Um, so that's the first thing to say. And we know how good they are, whereas the Wallabies are. With no disrespect, genuinely none to of some of the, like, to not Queensland and New South Wales teams, but it's basically just the Reds and Waratahs with a couple of others scattered through here and there. Um, you could probably say the same in yeah, the Wallabies yeah, exactly. at the moment, too, right? <laughs> um, no, probably not. Rummies yeah, are-, are most of the team. Um, but yeah, just looking at this, I think that the match itself will follow a similar pattern. But what I think you'll see is a greater capacity of the Wallaroos to be able to sustain their ability to counter the strengths of the Fijian style of playing for longer periods because they'll have greater um, quality and experience across the entirety of kind of the 15 and 23 because they're bringing together the best from the different Super Rugby setups. Um, So, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if it's an incredibly close game uh, where you just see the Wallaroos try and play to set piece strength, the traditional way of trying to counter the um, Fijiana strength. Well, I'm very
2: much looking forward to that game uh, in a few weeks' time. And no doubt the Wallaroos team or squad will be announced this week with enough time to prep. So hopefully, in our, our pod next week, we might be able to put a, a bit of a Wallaroos 15 together who we'd like to see face up against that uh, Fijiana team.
1: Brilliant, mate. Well, why don't we head on now into the Super Rugby Pacific Round 11 results. And let me just quickly run through them. I'll tell you what the match of the round is, and then we're going to touch on a couple of individual points. Now, I've realized that I have put a typo on this list, so we'll just be aware of that as we go through into it. But to start with, we have the Highlanders versus the Chiefs. That was played on Friday night for South Bar Stadium, 28-52 to the Chiefs the next game was the Fiji Art Fiji Indrua versus the <laughs> Hurricanes um, at HFC uh, H- 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 Bank Stadium which is in Lautoka and that was 27 to 24 oh, to the Druids. That score
2: 71-24 I knew it was a victory but 71 <laughs>
1: that's that's next level that's obviously <laughs> a that's a in. <laughs> what to be in big achievement um then we have the Crusaders versus the Force and the Satyrs went away to a comfortable 48 to 13 win over the uh, Western Force, who uh, were brave in defeat, but were just overpowered by a far more clinical and uh, accomplished team. The Blues survived a God Almighty scare against Moana Pacifica to get a um, what was it? A penalty try um, in the last like minute or it in overtime, overtime of the game to win them that yep. match. Yep, to win them to win the game, thirty-one to thirty against Moana Pacifica. We then had the Reds get absolutely demolished by the Waratahs and sent home crying to their parents. And only a late try brought it back into respectability, 24 to 32, before we then get to the match of the round, the Melbourne Rebels hosting the Brumbies, And it was a high-quality encounter, probably the best match between the Australian teams, and that is why we have chosen it as, um, based upon the feedback and the votes across all of our social platforms to be our match of the round. So there's a lot going on there, but let's actually just go back to the start. Okay, I've spoken for a bit, but let's go back to the start. Highlanders versus the Chiefs, um, Lucky, we've said it a bunch of times over the last few weeks. I mean, at what point do the New Zealand Rugby Association just recognise that they probably can't sustain five teams across their um, great nation? It's
0: true. And we're actually proposing, I think, as a pick-and-drive unit to reach out to the NZRU and invite two of their teams to come across to a stronger domestic competition. Mm. I thought we said That's one. going to be better for the game overall. Yeah, just two. Well, um, well, including well, Moana. Yeah,
2: we you. include Moana, that's yeah. two, I guess, yeah. Yeah that's,
0: yeah, that's two. Yeah, good on Moana. Um, okay. The real winners in this round as well. Um, but I I really enjoyed watching this Highlanders-Chiefs game really quickly. I don't usually care for the Kiwi stuff. But the Highlanders had 61% territory and 58% possession, and they've still been pummeled. And it's because the Chiefs' counterattack yep. is so effective. We saw it time and time again. Anything that didn't go out was picked up by Narawa, by Stevenson, by McKenzie, and given back with interest. It's an incredible display of counter-attacking rugby. So if that's your stick, I recommend you go and watch the mini, but just don't I mean, Mitch, it's more chiefs tries. It's such a hard team to really. play
2: against at the moment, because as we've sort of seen this week, the Highlanders tried to hold the ball and, you know, not give the chiefs the opportunity to score points. And yet they did anyway, the, the, the simple mistakes they punish you. so. You give them ball, they'll score tries left, right, and centre all day long. You try and hold it yourself, you drop it, you turn it over, and at the breakdown, and they'll score off counter attack. So they've got so many different um, options of scoring points this year that they're just—they're really looking. They're such a deadly team, and you, you don't really want to be coming up against them at the moment. A huge part of it is just—and hot start you out of that—you go, that. go lucky. Hot
0: start out of that one really quickly, just with the counter attack. The Highlanders missed one in four tackles. Throughout wow. the game, so whether that's you know flattering the Chiefs slightly, but they've gone through at a seventy-five percent tackle rate, which is yep. woeful at Super Rugby level. So as much as the Highlanders did try and keep the ball, they didn't. They clearly didn't keep chase effectively with numbers no, like that. No, that's
1: that's really poor. And I think it just goes to the idea of if you're going to be beating a team that is as brave and precise as the Chiefs are with their intent to attack off any broken field opportunities or broken play opportunities then you need to be precise in the way that you yourself are playing so when you're kicking for touch you reach touch if you are um, trying to clear your zone you either get into touch or you're putting up good contestable kicks that your wingers are able to get up to and sack the player as soon as they come to the ground with the ball and it just seems that um i, I saw it a fair bit within aussie games as well that there was a tendency of uh aussie fly halves or clearance kickers so just be like just kicking it down the throats of the players. And you can see sometimes why box kicks are used as much as they are, and because it gives an opportunity to contest and to um, disrupt the platform that the attacking team are trying to set for themselves. But why don't we keep moving on? Because there is a lot of rugby to cover. Can I just say on,
2: on the Chiefs at the moment, how refreshing is it to have a team leading Super Rugby that's not the Crusaders? Like the Ooh, narrative yes. has been so good. for the last five, uh, what yes, are they please. six on the bounce or seven on the trot or something? Like, it's just crazy how good they've been this last decade uh, and to have a team like the chiefs that have come up and have beaten them twice, the crusaders, uh, the crusaders are currently in like fourth or something on the table uh, to have a team that is performing as well as the chiefs is just so refreshing for the competition. We mentioned it briefly last week, but that match against the crusaders and chiefs full packed out stadium, that's what Super Rugby should be week in, week out.
1: Yep. Yep, they're really setting the standard for the quality of what this competition could be. So well done, Chiefs. It's bloody amazing what they're doing at the moment. Great to watch. Um, okay, so we now move to the second match of the round, which was a Fijian Drua versus the Hurricanes. And like we mentioned, a 27-24 to 24 win. Lucky, how good was this game? The atmosphere was amazing, and yet again, the crowd was cheering and drew home. a home.
0: household name, Kimu mm. Valentini, the man cannot miss. So good to see Fiji get up hard. against the Kiwis again. They were. It was It was a tough set of yep. kicks that he nailed them all. They all went straight over the black dot, and I was just I was so impressed by not only the result, but like you mentioned, you know, the matchday experience the hills packed, it's the noisiest crowd by streets and streets and streets. And the way in which Fiji managed to come back from a deficit in the second half, where Kiwis do that horrible Kiwi thing where they score after halftime and just start burying you. They just said, no, nah, not today. Dragged it back in. Their back three, to Tamunda in Jersey 14, was exceptional. You said for Marcy at 13 was great. Um, Taniel Rutuko was brilliant. They just worked so well together, and ultimately they out Kiwied the Kiwis by dragging that result in. And my favourite part of all this was watching on social media the Blues pop up <laughs> and just say, "Geez, look like winning in Fiji is not for everyone," and it's true because <laughs> it takes a special team to go over and win in Fiji. So pity pity the sides that have to travel across the pacific to there again i was what gonna bring well, that
2: uh little social media bit up when we got to the blues game later but um <laughs> I, i'll bring it up i'll save it <laughs> for then. it's so it's so refreshing to see how well the indra will play when they're at home and the, it's just been a revelation in super rugby pacific this year to have them playing all their home games in fiji having packed stadiums just the atmosphere coming through the tv like i I was just pottering around doing stuff. It was like a 12 p.m. kickoff on Saturday afternoon here in Sydney. So just pottering around at home, put the game on, sat down between chores to to have a look for five minutes. And like I could just feel the atmosphere from through the TV of the crowd getting so excited behind the Fiji, the Fiji Andrew. Such a great atmosphere. What the next step for this Druid team is to be able to replicate these performances when they travel. And that's just gonna be that that's gonna be their biggest challenge, I think, for the next year or so. That they can play so well at home, but to be really competitive in this competition, we need to see them travel and do that, um, which at the moment, that travel factor does seem to be what's pull, holding them back at the moment. Uh, but, you know, no disrespect to them in Fiji, conditions their way, just do everything that they can, and it's just so exciting to watch.
1: Another team that has a really difficult travel schedule are the Western Force, and they experienced the full brunt of that this weekend coming up against a stacked Crusaders team and going down 48 to 13. Mitch, I have a theory about this, and I want you, to, want you to give me your opinion on my theory, okay? So my theory is that the Force weren't actually that bad. They came up against a team that was just a lot, like, simply a lot more experienced and better than them but the force actually played all right in terms of they kept tackling they never gave up and they kept working hard to try and get themselves into positions to score points am i just being too positive here was this an absolute beat down what do you think
2: it's one of those like you need to look in in results like this in australian rugby unfortunately at times you do need to look for that silver lining and i think that <laughs> that is that silver lining you can take out of this game like um who was it at 10 maybe debut from the shoot shield at north yeah Bury comes on and Poor poor bugger, like making his debut against the Crusaders away, not even coming off the bench, starting like Simon Cron's really throwing him a deep end there, throwing him the curveball, but that's what happens in this competition. And uh, we know that this force team has the ability to almost like the Andrew at times, when they play at home, they're they're a different beast and they they have the the sea of blue behind them and they can hold in and hang in games and find ways to get back in. But when you when you travel and you go against a team like the Crusaders, who at this point in the competition where they're sitting on the table, they know what they need to do to get those bonus points and they're clinical about it. And unfortunately this week the force just weren't able to be at their best for the full eighty minutes to be able to hold the the Crusaders to within touching pace and the game just blew away from them.
1: Hmm. Lockie, looking at some of the performances across this game, I mean, we can't even start talking about standout players without mentioning Will Jordan and his first steps onto the pitch in 2023. He were, he, it looks like he'd never been gone. He was incredible almost every time he touched.
0: He was, and I loved hearing a big cheer go up around the park when he first grabbed it and counterattacked it with a kick down into the right corner. It's, it's really good to see him back, and I hate saying that as a Wallabies fan, as an Australian rugby fan, but he's such a well-balanced running fullback in that sort of Christian Cullen, um, Chris Latham mould. He's an exceptionally well-balanced player, and it's good to see him. The first pass that he threw across for Lester Fanganuku's try was just delicious. It's so good good to see. And he's going to cause us a lot of headaches for probably the next decade. But in rugby terms, it's great to see him back. But on the point that you raised, Mitch, about... The force really being in this game and you did too and i wanted to point out something i picked up in commentary which was before the game uh, i think it was the commentary team were talking about the crusaders um scoring uh areas so where they score and how they score and the highest scoring side from uh set piece so from first phase not even counter-attack just first phase and looking through this game they have scored six of their seven or eight tries six of them came from first phase set piece. So four from lineouts and two from scrums, they set oh, yeah. a platform and they execute so so well. And I've I been mean, that comes down to Richie Molyneux being able to direct them, but the ability of their backline to connect immediately from first phase play is second to none. So you see those contrasting styles of the Chiefs being so strong on the counter attack, and the Crusaders now going from what's traditionally known as that very Kiwi team, you know, kick, exit, counter attack, and go. They are becoming set piece masters which is really really interesting to see so we're right the force did actually play well it's those 15 20 second blocks around set piece where there's four rolling more tries mm. two tries scored from scrums that are in the far left wing they're not doing the wrong things they're just failing to shut down that opportunity that crusaders have to have a planned attack.
1: And when you think about the lack of continuity that a lot of players will have with those inside and outside of them. So front row of Hancock, Horton, and Medrano. Um, obviously, Horton um, only coming into the team pretty late on this season. Medrano coming back after not being there last season. Uh, Hancock being recently promoted as well. Felix Calipu and Jeremy Williams, both kind of newer players into the squad. Michael Wells, Izzy Nasirani, Kale Tizano were they're in 2022, haven't played alongside each other before. Um, Isaac finds Wasso having Burry, Max Beery outside of him. Um, and then the back line itself is pretty settled, like 12, 13, 14, 11, and 15 are all pretty settled with Stewart, Spink, Mattielli, Kiribigi, and Tia. But just that forward pack and the key axis at 9 and 10 – it just shows the ongoing challenges that, um, that Simon Cron mentioned in the interview. And we're just going to massively plug it here. Don't get down on the force and start talking about how bad they are without hearing the context of what is needing to be developed and grown in Western Australian football or Western Australian rugby. Go back and watch and listen to our interview with Simon Cron. Um, definitely biased but it was body great and he spoke really really well about the challenges and w- and what they're looking to do to try and grow the game in wa uh mitch any final quick comments on this game before we're happy on? to move to the blues game all right bring on that social media comment mate blues 31 moana 30 pulling it
2: out of the <laughs> whoever, it is, whoever it is whoever it is that's taken after. over the blue social media this year it's just so savage I, I i didn't initially see the first uh like live, I didn't see the first tweet, but I saw the follow-up tweet when obviously it had come from after this game and it said, oops, maybe we should have hold- held off for a little while or something <laughs> to that effect. But damn, I wish Moana could have beaten them. Just how smug that this mm. Blues team has come across this year. They haven't been going as well as the Chiefs. I don't think they need to be throwing themselves and their weight around as much as they, they have been. Uh, I don't know about what you boys think, but... I thought it was such a bad look at full time when Moana Pacific could give away the penalty try. And that's, that's from repeated scrum infringements and the blues are up and about, like they've just, you know, done some amazing intercept, try run fulfilled and scored. Like Rico, you in there just absolutely giving it to some of the Moana boys. And it's like, come on, it's a penalty try. Like you're lucky. This was awarded. You haven't necessarily won this game. It's kind of been handed to you. And some mm. of the Moana boys have sort of given it a bit back, and there was a bit of a scuffle. And I was like, "All, all credit to them. That's that's such a harsh thing to do. Like, have a bit of um, what do you call it? Nobility Gross. or a bit of grace? Yeah, a bit, a bit of, of grace. It, it's the it's the same sort of thing that we saw in uh, Melbourne last year after they got that you know the overturned Bledisloe try and uh, who was it? Um, Barrett goes over and scores a try, and Rico's in people's faces and throwing things, throwing handbags around as well. Then like it's just it's not a good look i don't think it it speaks rugby to me in in a way though and Lockie, i'll throw this to you maybe that blues
1: celebration at the end was just sheer relief because the odds i mean the line was like 28 and a half um for the blues to absolutely smash moana so was this just them being overly Full of relief at what could potentially have been a pretty significant um, a loss for them in the context of their finals aspirations, like where they could For Sure, finish it would have rocked their
0: season losing. But that feeling is relief. But think about for the Fords as well. And you raised that the game's handed to them. Yes, but it's earned. Um with that scrum, there were what four resets, I think I counted, maybe it was three, to force a penalty try. And the scrum was dominant. In that situation, Graham Cooper has to go to the penalty try because they're backpedalling, and by all rights, they should be pushing over. So that's a a piggy's try. And if you get a push-over try, it's the best feeling of them all. It's unmatched. So I get that. Rico Ioane coming in, I'm not a fan of at all because the backs don't scrum. They don't know how. They never will get it. Leave the forwards. Let them enjoy (laughs) that one. Um, But this was just such a close and missed opportunity for Moana. Like you, Mitch, I would have loved them to get the win. And it was so good from an Aussie perspective, I'm sure you'd agree, seeing Christian Leliofano getting about steering the team, scoring a try. And aside from a couple of missed kicks, he almost had the perfect game for Moana.
1: Mate, I'm just trying to find Kirtley (laughs) Beal's scrummaging attempts. (laughs) (laughs) When you're saying the backs don't scrum and I'm like, ooh, Uh, I've got photos to prove you are correct. Even when they try, they still don't.
2: I'm pretty sure there's a few of Rhys Hodge oh. as well having a crack for the Rebels. I
1: think Marik has done it a couple of times and actually been like somewhat decent at it. But that because just could
0: That no guy wrong. could probably
2: it. play prop if needed. Yeah. I'm trying needed. to think
0: of the one recently where there was came, like, a right. flank that came in and actually bound around the prop's knee and collapsed him. There's been a couple of ones like that. It's been yeah. excellent.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um one thing i want to jump in there with is if the blues had dropped this game because currently they're in third place on 34 points if they've dropped this game they're on 30 points um and so or 31 but either way that still puts them from third down into fifth so the crusaders and the hurricanes would have both jumped the blues on the ladder so that's pretty significant because the blues at this point go from playing the waratahs to if they'd lost that game, to likely playing the Hurricanes or the Crusaders um, if the finals were at this point. So it just shows how close and how important um, these positions are, both at the kind of top end of things. The Chiefs are out in front. Nobody's going to catch them, most likely. Um, but in terms of like third to fifth and then sixth to eighth as well it really really matters the team's positioning so this is a big one for the blues but now let's get to the game that everybody actually cares mm. about and um that game is the reds versus the waratahs and um lucky i i'm gonna be honest mate i find it really really hard to um pay as much attention to what the opposition team is doing when Atars are playing because i'm so focused on whether we're playing well or not so i'm like oh no we did this well we didn't do that well and i'm like actually what did the reds do how did they play like what did they do well so what was your insight into the performance of the reds um yesterday
0: rusty is the generous term that i would use it was a very disjointed performance um from from where i was sitting and and that's disappointing because we're a decent chunk into the season now we're at 11 rounds in 12 rounds in almost and we're still not making it stick we we quite often seem to mind to lose our attacking shape we don't have a good pod structure we go to lateral and attack and that's been exposed very badly for teams who play like that and i mean realistically aside from you know, scrapping our way through the first half, you know, Matty Fazla scoring a good try off the rolling ball, um, getting some, some, some bright sparks. And really the second half, we just didn't fire shots. And especially for a Reds-Tars game, this, as a fan, this means so much to me, as I'm sure it does to you as well. And I know that they'd be hurting in the sheds afterwards. I know they'd be disappointed, but I didn't see that intensity on the field. I didn't see it in the game, in the, physical nature of which it was played, you compare it to the Drew and Cruise, um, Drew and Hurricanes game where you could hear the crunch of the impact and you could feel the crowd getting into it. It was a totally different scenario um, for the Templeton Cup, which to mine is the Reds' biggest domestic game of the year. So something was missing, um, at least from what I Lucky, can see. Lucky, what did you think, of, real um, yeah,
2: quick. What do you think of Harry Wilson's little dive in like the 10th or so minute of the game? When they're down in the twenty-two, and they get a penalty, and he's standing there, and Hooper kind of like just nudges him a little bit, and he just does this full-on backflip and just dives on the ground. Do you see that?
1: <laughs> I
2: no, I
0: actually didn't see it. I but if he did, I'm not. It a fan didn't work. And then um, I think it that's, was that's bright. was either stuff.
2: Swinton, no, not Swinton. Um, uh, what's the other? What's the other second rower? Um, the blonde see guy. You. Sinclair Sinclair. Sinclair, Sinclair was standing above him, and he kind of just like sort of rolled onto his haunches, and he kind of just pulled him back again. And I was just like, "What are you doing, mate? Come on!" <laughs> I want to find this now. Yeah,
0: I mean, that, but that that kind of stuff. No, that's 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 not about it. I'm not about that. that at that's
1: all. soccer stuff, mate. That's soccer stuff. Um, the Reds ha- were up against it a bit from the beginning because Josh Fluke pulled it out um, in what the warm up um, due to. Yeah, massive out with Taj Yeah, so Taj came in and then he got injured pretty early. Didn't he cop a knee from Holloway to the head or something yep. like that? So Lina had to step in. I think, did O'Connor go to 13 and Lina came in? Or I can't remember the specific um, changes that happened. But either way, copying those two injuries to your, center, to your outside centers early definitely changes up. The uh, potency and fluency of both attack and defense, with the 13 being so critical in that defensive channel. Um, Mitch, what elements of the game do you think the Waratahs did well in, considering this is now having won three of the last four games? So... Considering how poor the start to the season was, the Tars have definitely been trending upwards over the last month. Before we
2: um, shift across to the Tars, I just wanted to say quickly, building on that point you mentioned there around the back line for the Reds being a bit disjointed, I thought their first half performance was a lot better um, than their second, and they were utilising Suli Bunovailo a lot better. And probably the best I think we've seen him utilise this year was popping up in midfield. He went looking for the ball a fair bit, and I think that speaks credit to the structure that they had in play. And what they wanted to do and when they had those injuries come about just before halftime and then had to sort of shift things around the back line, I don't recall him doing much in the second half. And and so, yeah, I think um, that massively impacted on their ability to to score with the ball in hand. But um, focusing in now on the Waratahs, the the team that won uh, the Chockeys and got the cup back, <laughs> uh, I, I think they... Early on, they had a fair few opportunities where they weren't similar to what the the Reds ended up doing most of the game. had opportunities in the opposition 22 and just weren't capitalizing on it, weren't coming away with points, which is something that we've spoken about for the TARS the last two or three weeks is that when they do get into the opposition 22, they need to be coming away with some form of points and they're being turned over too much. Uh, but they yep. they came out with intent in the second half and they uh, managed to score that quick try off, off the kickoff and then um, sort of... Kept applying pressure to the the Reds, which I think uh, was really good to see that they were able to kind of back each other up and to apply that scoreboard pressure and, and to continue to score points um, when and sort of in some ways punish a team that wasn't as clinically strong in defence as some of the opposition they've come up against previously.
1: Yeah, so there's, I mean, there's a few points that you've kind of raised within there, but I think let's just pause for a second and talk about the uh, Waratahs try to Lalakai Fiketti in the 45th minute. Uh, up there is one of the team tries of the competition as a whole. Absolutely brilliant. And just rugby purists, rugby lovers, go and watch that try. It was absolutely stunning. Um, probably beaten by Harry Johnson Holmes is just uh like, burrow you know, the you know front row props burrow close to the line the little wombat just digging in and getting oh. getting their butt wiggling over the line um that was that was impressive and good to see him getting back into a bit of try scoring form as well um but i think one of you, you you did mention this but basically the a zone conversion rate the the ability of the waratahs to be getting more points from their entries into the reds 22 and then conversely the reds were Disappointingly inefficient Mm. when they got into the Waratahs 22. So there was a couple of times where um the players really should have just taken the hit, done a quick recycle, and then probably the next phase would have gone over for the try. I'm thinking particularly Harry Wilson reaching forward and out trying to go for the try, and then Connor Vest did that as well. Um, so there's a couple of times where if the players obviously had their time again, they'll be thinking, oh, should have just been patient. Should have just been patient and and looked for the quick recycle. Uh, Lachie, is that a fair statement to make, that patience is an area the Reds could have been developing in, and what more would you have hoped for from your Reds team?
0: For sure, and it's just the clinical finishing. As you mentioned, it's the last pass, your decision-making. We saw the same thing down in that left corner with Geordie um, Pataya probably giving the pass when he didn't yeah. need to and ended up throwing it at Matt Matajla's ankles and it going straight out when really that's the opportunity to hit back. After the um, for Kitty, but that that, he could he would have he would have. I'm pretty sure he was on Jorgensen, which is no disrespect to Jorgensen, but he's you know a fair bit lighter on. Um, so you're thinking Pata probably crashes over, but it's that it's that decision making. And I think with the shifting of the back line and O'Connor pushing out to 13 from what it looked like, it did become disjointed. And then you've got extra playmakers on, you've got a liner, you've got an O'Connor. And things got a little jumbled from what mm. I could see, but realistically, for mine the problem seemed to be attitude, and it's not that they didn't want it; it's just that it didn't seem to me, is that it converted on the day. I was, I was, I was disappointed, yep. to put it like. Yeah,
1: that. and I mean, look, I, I did make the joke before that kind of the Waratahs trounced, but twenty four thirty two looks like a pretty close game, but in reality, the final try was scored in the eightieth oh, minute wasn't. of the match, so it was seventeen. 32 in the 80th minute of the game.
0: Oh, shout out to Penny Rabbi for being the real one.
1: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> going twice
0: in three phases and going over. He was, he's,
1: a he's done really well.
0: Penny Rabbi, i got to get, gotta get
1: he, him around. He's, he's like your player. star import when um, oh, Luke Jones hasn't even taken the field at all and yet he was meant to be the big oh, man signing for the Reds. Get started. Wasn't I he know. meant to be? Jeanine,
2: um, this well, week? <laughs> we might have seen him.
0: Whispers. Yeah. Whispers
1: around Whispers, yeah. yeah.
2: Nothing. Before we nothing move, well, we're about obviously. to move into the game of the week, but where do we need to talk about the uh, the quick tap? The quick tap technique. Can when does we that come up, Ando?
1: Next, can we talk about it in the Rebels, cool. please, if that's all right? Because mm-hmm. um, yes. it is crucial to them not getting the win in this game. So let, let's keep it for there. And for this, Lockie, I'm going to hand over to you for the match of the round.
0: Beautiful. All righty. Down in not-so-sunny Melbourne. And we've seen the Rebels, once again, glorious in defeat, going down 26-33 to the Brumbies. And it looks close because it was at the end of the day. I think we can probably all agree that it was a high-quality game that was fought to the very death with some goal-line defence probably seeing the ponies home. Ando, starting with you, what do we take out of this game?
1: Look, I think... um... I mean, that's a broad question because there's so many different like subplots and narratives or storylines within this match. And so I think partly you can be taking out the kind of Wallabies fly half battle um, and saying that both Carter Gordon and Noel Olesu had fantastic performances each for, for their respective teams. I think it says how much the Rebels are improving across the course of the season and kind of under the direction of... Um, of foot, but also it also speaks to the experience that the Brumbies have in being able to hold on and come away with the win against a strong performing and really dogged Rebels team who deserve to be in the contest right to the end. So there's a lot of different storylines we could roll with.
0: Let, let's keep deep diving that 10 1 because we all saw and we all heard, even if Stan didn't want to bring it up to it later. Lola goes over for his first try off a really good running line. He then backs up in attack from Tom Wright's line break, goes over untouched, looks down the barrel of the camera, and words to the effect of Carter Gordon. <laughs> Who, Mitch? What does that tell you? What does that tell I you? I it just Noah? shows
2: the, the pressure that he's under at the moment, and the the fact that you know you put yourself in his shoes, and he's been in and out of Wallaby squads for the last two or three years. He's been given opportunities against France, won us the series, and then he's not picked again, in and out, in 23, out of 23, left off, left home from tours, and now Carter Gordon has one good year, and all of a sudden, everyone's talking about him being the next big thing and the guy that's going to take, deserves to go to the World Cup later this year, and Noah's not performing and all this sort of stuff. So, I think it kind of just speaks to the pressure that he's under at the moment, and also, just the rivalry that we have in Australian rugby at the moment—that no one knows at the, no one knows kind of where they sit under Eddie. No one knows who the favourite players in each position are, and everyone's vying. And when you're coming up against the the opposition, like we saw this this week, this round was key for it. We had Gleeson versus Wilson. We had McWright versus uh, Hooper. We had Alessio against um, Gordon, and. That's just a key indication of where the mindset is by these players. They're just so competitive and they want to get that little bit of edge um, against their opposition at every instance that they can.
0: For sure. And I love seeing Lola Lolisio have that fire mm. about him because it's difficult to determine what kind of person you are as a fly half. you're cool and collected and then there he is showing his heart, showing his passion. I, it gave me the biggest smile. It absolutely made my day seeing that happen. But then Ando... To Carter Gordon's credit, he's come out in return and had a blinder as well. <laughs> Has he got the best out in the game? Yeah, the he's
1: moment? up there. He's up there. His um, wide and fast passing game is probably the strongest of any of the Aussie 10s at the moment. Um, he plays a lot flatter to the line and the passes that he gave out to Lockie Anderson, the lesser Ando, on the wing, was re- they were both really impressive and honestly quite Cooper-esque. Like there aren't many other tens who have that speed and accuracy of passing game that he's bringing to the table. Um, And the thing that I I think separates him a little bit is his willingness just to be incredibly physical in defense as a frontline defender. A lot of the time tens will be uh, hidden in first phase play and maybe playing the tram tracks behind the line out or something like that. But he is just, Defending in that 10 channel and will try and smash anybody who comes up against him. And yeah, he's doing incredibly well. It, I almost feel like he um, he just plays a bit flatter and a bit more aggressively than Lola Sear. And I think Lola Sear getting a bit more fire into his game this week is exactly what he needs to kind of spark him a little bit further to to, to keep that competition going.
0: Absolutely. And I was so impressed from the running lines that they both show. They follow their pass really mm-hmm. well. They were directing and they were vocal with their attacking shape and they're both physical and defense, especially Gordon, as you mentioned, that was one of many excellent matchups throughout this game. I was really impressed with the matchup between tool and Anderson Yep, um, as well throughout the game. Anderson scoring a couple of tries, tool skinning him a few times, a good running battle there, but I mean, realistically, with the score at 33-26 and there's three minutes to play, the Rebels pounding on their line, a couple of penalties. Did we see this game going to a draw and maybe to golden point?
1: Yeah, look, realistically, it could have gone that way. And I think uh, there were some really bad decisions made by the Rebels within the final minutes of the game. Because if you remember, Darcy Swain has got the yellow card for kind of hands on the ground, knocking it out Mm -hmm. of. Uh, Bobby Tuttle's hands, yep. I'm pretty sure, at that point in yep. the game. Um, just quite quick aside, quick aside, that is the end of Darcy Quaint's, Darcy Swain's Wallabies career, I reckon. Um, now, obviously, that's hyperbole, and I'm definitely going a bit over the top, but he, it's the type of thing that he has been known for that we'd be hoping that he'd been growing out of and maturing out of. So the fact that he's done it in a really high-pressure moment again is not good. But back to the point, why didn't the Rebels go to the scrum when they had a one-man advantage and then not that means the that Bobby Valentini um, not go to the scrum when that means that Bobby Valentini would then have to probably go into the second row and and scrum there or at least, yeah, mean that he can't be getting off the back of the scrum to help defend on the line. Like, surely the, the pick and go or the tap and go is not the right call in that moment.
0: So it's hot-headedness at the end of the day, isn't it? You've got, you're looking at the clock, you've got that scoreboard pressure and time's not on your side, so you don't want to waste that minute of packing and resetting. But every time they burrowed forward, the Brumbies, and especially Nick White, had an unbelievable way of getting underneath them and almost inviting them over the try yep. line to hold up and have that opportunity for a clearing um, goal line dropout. It was wildly effective throughout the game. What I saw, Nick, White did it on Ryan Laurens, They got it on for a couple of times. And that, that mechanism of catching and dragging over the line, I think is going become a really important part of... Well, that's of like the thing that frustrates
2: that me. And we kind of spoke about it a little bit in our instant reaction pod uh, the other week um, after the Highlanders game, that the Waratahs were taking those quick taps. That with the, the law changes or the variations that have come in play in the last two years of it becoming a goal line dropout if you're held up over the line. It doesn't reward you to go for those quick taps because it's so easy as a defender to be set and just hold the players up as we saw. It's very hard to sort of drive over and score the try unless you're a player like Harry Johnson Holmes, who's just a wombat who seems to get over from close. But most players don't seem to have, or most teams at the moment aren't using the quick tap as effectively to get over the line. And it seems at the moment to be favouring the defending team more so than the attacking team. Well, that's where, I mean, because I just want to jump in here because I've got a good th- thought about, well, I think
1: it's a good thought anyway, I'll say that, <laughs> um, about how teams should kind of be doing this in that we, we saw in this game that the, the time where Kabusioff got held up and turns over the ball, enables the Brumbies to win the match is because Bobby Tuttle Taps it, pass it off, Caboose runs up, and I think it was Valentini basically just allows him to fall on. Like you were mentioning, Lockie allows Elof to fall onto him, so he holds him up. But why are are they just going for one-up hits there? Mm. Why are they not setting up that forward pod and then Caboose passes it off to one of the playmakers just out the back and play it to, say, Hardwick, who's standing two or three people out from that initial forward pod? who can then get a soft shoulder or in between the shoulders of two of the defenders and try and bust through? Or why is Elof not setting up that um, first hit to enable a strike play on the next set? Like It just seems I, I don't have an issue with tap and goes in that circumstance if they're thought and part of a particular strike play that the teams have planned for. But if you're just going to give it to a Ford and say, truck it up, good luck, have fun, um, then to me, go for the scrum. Just go for the scrum because your eight has so much more um, room to move in at this point Or use point it more effectively. Like, don't changes, find Don't
2: Like, as you said, you had Hardwick on the field. Get him, as soon as that quick tap's awarded, and that's what you're doing in that instance, get him to just get in the tram tracks. Tap the ball quickly and throw it to him, and then it's a one-on or a, a two-on-one over a, a back. You'll most likely get over and you can borrow yep. over from there. Like, don't just give it to Caboose up against such a strong Leinster forward pack like the Brumbies. Yep. What was that, Lockie?
0: You've got to, got to get over to the URC and watch mm. Leinster and Munster run their tap set moves. It's, I mean, it's exactly what you're both referencing to with have a plan. If you're not practicing tap moves during the week, why are you doing them yep. on the field? That's that's school footy stuff. Yeah, give it to your, your biggest boy, your tight end property number eight and hope he flattens the little kid. Yep. You've got to practice these things. And we're seeing it so effectively now with teams like Ireland and teams like France and their Champions Cup powerhouses. They're using tap moves and they're scoring off them every time because of the deception and because of the structure that they use. So it's going to be a big part if we just practice it. Speaking of practicing so what you play at training,
2: uh, word from Waratah camp is that Michael Hooper's been practicing more 50 22s. So let's not, let's expect him to <laughs> pull that out of the pocket in a quarterfinal against nice. England. Nice. Absolutely love it. Absolutely love
1: it. All right, so team from here. Sorry, just had that pause there. Um, is there anything that any, anything else that we want to be jumping on with this match? We've gone through it in a fair bit of detail. Um, I think in a broad sense, it does speak to what Kevin Foote is doing with the Rebels down there in Melbourne and really strong hopes that they can continue to keep the team together moving forward into 2024. Um, also, the Brumbies now sitting pretty in second place with eight wins across their 10 matches. Um and two points away from the chasing blues, 36 and 34 points, respectively. Anything final we want to say, Lockie? Anything you want to bring up on this match
2: before we move on?
0: Uh, done and dusted, very good game, and looking forward to the Aussie sides having a good week next Brilliant week. Image.
2: I guess my final my closing statement would be: as as good as it would have been to see the rebels get up over the Brumbies and to get a victory at home, as and I did tip the upset, so I would have liked that. It, the outcome would have been that the Brumbies would have shifted down into fifth place and that would not be ideal. We want them up as high on the table as possible. So getting this victory, push them back up into second. So um, I think that's the ultimate outcome that we need at the moment. Yep, very good shout there. Well, I think without And if, if things stay that way, that's, that sets up a Waratahs versus Brumbies quarterfinal. Oh, can
1: we not? Can or we semifinal, not whatever have, it's called. Uh, Aussie teams playing each other in the finals, please and thank you.
2: Um that but that then just that makes one Aussie team into the series. <laughs> True.
1: I'd rather more opportunities.
2: But we, we, we've,
0: been, we've been down this yeah. road. No thank it, you.
1: No thank you. Um all right, team. Why don't we move on here into Eddie Jones's Wallaby Watch? Let's go. All right, we move to the best part of any rugby fan's uh, life in rugby, which is predicting the Wallabies before the national coach does. We are doing the job for him. So what we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking at some key matchups across the weekend and choosing which player of the different positions that we have chosen is going to be in Eddie Jones's Wallabies squad. So we're looking at kind of like the best of the three players that are on offer. Now, in true Eddie fashion, we do have some rules. The first one is that it's based on form. So super rugby Pacific form. But importantly, gentlemen, importantly, because we're Eddie Jones, we're gonna say that it's based on form, but we can completely ignore that and choose players out of form as well if we want to. So that's rule number one. It's based on form, Question: so you can
2: choose. Can we also pick players that don't fit the category? Absolutely not, no
1: because i've made a nice graphic
2: no but like eddie does oh right um i know but i'm just saying like eddie does so can we bring in someone that doesn't even meet the ghetto rule yes if they're on the screen
1: on the graphic that i've presented for you yes
2: (laughs) um now the second
1: point the second rule is that experience definitely matters because we have a smash and grab job at the upcoming rugby world cup but we can also choose untested players because Eddie did in his last Wallaby squad that he chose as well. And then, in addition to that, we are picking these as Wallabies players, but it's not a Wallaby squad because that wasn't a Wallaby camp either. So there's a lot of a lot of confusion here. So I hope, ladies and gentlemen, that makes it all clear for you. And to start with, we are going to look at number seven, the Michael Hooper Fraser McWright. And we've said here quite controversially carlo Tizano and i just want to appreciate the baby face carlo Tizano that we have here on the graphic um ladies and gentlemen when you google carlo Tizano western force cool. you genuinely cannot find a new image so that is what i have i, I didn't think people would like me putting him in, in a waratah's jersey so that's the best i've got um now the reason why we have Kyle Tazano is because Brad Wilkin injured his knee this in the game today, and so it looked pretty bad at first thought. Turns out maybe it's not so bad, but because he was injured, or I thought he was injured, I haven't included him. Also, Rory Scott just seems to never get mentioned in this equation, so I just didn't bother including him because nobody else ever does. So, <laughs> sorry, all Brumbies fans out there. Oh. Now, I know it's harsh. But Michael Hooper, Fraser McWright, or Carlo Tizano, you can only pick one. Mitch, who are you picking and why? So is this for the starting seven? Yeah, starting seven. Starting seven.
2: Yeah, I'll go with Hooper. Now why? Come on. It's it's all about experience and um, the rule getting inside Eddie's head that if you play for the Waratahs, you're infinitely better than any other super rugby player. Very well said, and I love that. And I love that enthusiasm.
1: Lockie, who are you picking?
0: It'll shock you deeply, mm. I know. But I am going with Fraser McWright because he is the Form 7. As we discussed last week, even though it makes perfect sense to pick the experience Hooper, Fraser McWright has been
1: can we, far can we we away meet, the outstanding. Can we mate, meet Lockie? So. No, you <laughs> cannot. Him from the
0: I will speak my piece in this sea of bias <laughs> blue. Fraser McWright, easy 7, put him in there. Hooper should have retired
1: decades ago. Decades ago. I'm going to go with Michael Hooper because he has been doing a lot of um, (gasps) Wim Hof breathing stuff. And um, you know how the teams are getting into their huddles nowadays and they're breathing together to help center themselves and bring them back into the moment. They need somebody who's really experienced in those moments to be able to lead them. And that's where Michael Hooper's experience comes into play okay so that Mm. is the reason why not because i'm literally wearing three pieces of waratah's gear as i'm pretty sure
2: he's the best surfer out of all of these three this is true as well and that's a criteria that eddie jones highly values
0: let me remind you that fraser mcright is covered in hair from tip all the way down and his beard merges into his chest hair (laughs) so if you want to deal with a cold in paris that's there true. is a Hesuit man waiting to don the seven gold. Oh, there's a lot to... Okay,
1: look, there's, this is pretty tough. We need to move on to number eight now. So we've we've, we've at least discussed the uh, number seven challenge and we've got Harry Wilson, Bobby Valentini and Lange Gleeson. So this is a really, really tough call. Um, I'm going to start this one off and I'm going to go Bobby Valentini for two reasons. Number one, he's got the best hairstyle out of all three of them and number two i think that harry wilson has the biggest baby face out of the three of them so i can't choose him because of that so in my mind when you combine the hair with the more grown-up face bobby valentini all the way through lucky your call
0: it's it's true about harry wilson's baby face but isn't that also a bit terrifying seeing such a large man with such a young Mm. face a little scary, it's like a giant, um, but yeah, it's Bob Valentini for me too. He is the form back rower, regardless of where you're going to throw, he's that line out option. He's in the team with the best record, and he is still the most terrifying ball runner Australian Australian rugby.
2: It's Bob uh, and Mitch. I was going to go with Harry Wilson, my ledger was leaning that way, but after this weekend's performance against the Waratahs, where as I mentioned before, a little brush by Michael Hooper and he's on the ground acting like he's just been punched in the face. There's no room for that in rugby. And Eddie Jones doesn't doesn't take prima donnas to World Cups. So, I'm going with Robbie Valentine. <laughs> Say it
1: to his face, mate. Say it next time you're in a room with him. Oh, I reckon you're a prima donna. Um, but in all seriousness... <laughs> in all seriousness, Langie Gleason, I think, did outperform Harry Wilson this weekend, um, at least in terms mm-hmm. yep. of the hard carry meters in tight particularly. I think Harry Wilson is an excellent link um, player. The interplay that he has between Tate McDermott and Fraser McRae, you can tell they've basically grown up playing rugby together. It's absolutely fantastic. Uh, but Langie Gleeson um, is just an absolute specimen and his ability to get the hard yards off the back of line outs, um, scrums in his own 22 and the like is really, really impressive between the two of those. But
2: I think Bobby Valentini uh, takes the cake for the us. The one thing I would say about if he we were to if we were to put either of those players, Wilson or Gleeson, into a gold jersey, I think Wilson performs better. I think when we look at Super Rugby at the moment, both Fraser McWright and Harry Wilson are basically carrying the Queensland Reds team on their mm. backs at the moment. They're the two players that are and kind Tate, of doing yeah. everything. And they're the only two that are kind of keeping them within, and, and Tate to a degree, yeah, um, they're keeping them within games. And so I think if you shifted the roles and if you took away that and you put Harry Wilson into like the Brumbies, I think he's performing much better because he's not having to score tries. He's not having to make the line breaks. He's not the only one in that forward pack doing anything essentially. Um, and we saw that this week as well when most of the time, Harry Wilson can do those crazy like go-go gadget arms and get the try over the top like on his back and he can find the try line this week he dropped it doing that so i think there's just a lot of pressure on him at the moment
1: interesting thoughts there let's move on to the number nine battle between jake gordon uh, tate mcdermott and nick white so nick white's obviously the incumbent he's the man with the mustache tate mcdermott um just has i think the most penetrating gaze out of all three of them and jake gordon has really started to grow on me after i thought he was um i didn't particularly like him when he started the Tars. i don't know just rubbed me the wrong way but now he's just captain incredible and he's got an eye for an intercept that no other nine in australian rugby does so Lockie, i'm going to throw it to you first mate out of the three of them who are you picking and why
0: it's Nick White. It's the Lorax every day of Lorax, the week. Brilliant. He has shown time and time again to mind that he is not only the form Australian nine, but he's one of the form nines in the world. And this is getting off our you know, not-so-serious track, but he outplayed Connor Murray. He outplayed Antoine DuPont on the spring tour. He has been the form nine in rugby championship as well, outplaying FAFTA Clerk and Aaron Smith. You've got to yeah. take him. You just have to. As Don't good as Tate
1: out. McDermott looks in that um, Indigenous jersey that I've got on the on the um, post, yeah, definitely has to be Nick White by my mind and mostly because he is both an absolute pest on the field and at home as well. Supposedly his wife is run ragged looking after three boys in a household, the two children and Nick White. So that kind of manic energy yep. is something that I very much enjoy She's doing yeah, God's she work. Is. She really is. She really is. Mitch, <laughs> uh, who's your call?
2: I'm um, going true Eddie fashion here and picking a player that doesn't meet quite criteria, isn't <laughs> on the the, the card, um, and isn't even in an Aussie. So I'm going to go with Tawera Kerbalo. <laughs> oh, Why? I like it. Because, I mean... <laughs> Because it, it, it's Eddie's it's Eddie's Wallaby squad. Yes, we get, we're playing Eddie's mind games, man. And so it'll probably just be like, yeah, he won't pick any
1: of the Super Rugby fly um, scrum halves. He'll pick someone external and it'll be like, it's a message to you. You don't deserve steak. You're getting sausage. And then deliver that round to him. That's right. <laughs> yep.
0: He'll pick Will Genia, Tawira Kerbalo, and that guy over in Gloucester, what, Ben Meehan, who used yep. to play for the Rebels. I'll bring back Nick World Cup How Does good it- would
1: Nick Phipps be back on?
0: But his green rockets got absolutely shafted in um, the relegation. So he might be playing Div 2 next year. Well,
2: you you say that as a joke, Anno, but um, Eddie Jones is coaching Nick Phipps apparently in the World 15 against the Barbarians or against, I think, is Eddie Jones coaching the Barbars or the 15s? He's one of the I'm coaches. I'm not
1: sure. I don't even know. Um, okay, let's move on to 10. We've been going for too long. <laughs> We've been going for too long with this pod. Now, Carter Gordon, Noah Lollisiu, and Ben Donaldson. Let's just scratch Ben Donaldson off this and just talk about Noah and Carter even more because their match this weekend was absolutely going to be quaint, yeah, right? I, yeah. I mean, look, he's, he, his social media posts raise his profile above anybody else and we know how much hamish mclennan loves social media presence and getting new stories out there so we really should have just changed this all to who has the best social media presence and then that's the determining factor by which they're picked but mitch mm-hmm. out of the three of them i've scrapped ben donelson but you could still pick him who are you picking gordon well, we'll see you or donelson and why
2: uh i'd be picking carter gordon and th- this is my serious pick of the, the three I prefer his ability to take the ball to the line than Noah Alessio. We saw this weekend, we saw today even in that in the game that Noah scored some tries and as Lockie mentioned before, got up and made a cheeky little remark to the camera, which you know says a little bit about the player. Um, but I, I prefer Carter Gordon's a, a bigger player, a bigger body than Noah Alessio, and I think that when he takes the ball to the line, he has the ability to break it more so than than Noah. So. That's my preference. Plus, the mullet. No, no, actually, you know That's what? I never rugby. should
1: have bloody included him. He's not playing for our nation with hair like that. It's a disgrace. Um, Lockie, what's your call on this front, mate? Mullet, yes or no? The mullet,
0: the mullet is a yes. And mullet. if he's not what wearing a mullet or jersey, it's, it's a disgrace. It's a disgrace. He uh, needs to keep it because that is culture. That is Queenslander culture, a culture and it is a mate. I bet
1: you drink Forex behind the it's scenes right beautiful. now. Bloody hell.
0: A bathe in it. No, we don't bathe in it. <laughs> it's too so precious. Um, but yes, Carter Gordon, good player. Is he going to be the 10? No, it's Noah Lolicio. And here's why Noah has got those runs on the board now. He's spearheading the most successful Australian team at the moment with Nick White, who is the Form 9. Noah Lolicio is the 10. No
2: All question. right. Yeah, but put, put Carter Gordon behind the, the Brumbies forward pack and who performs better? Probably Noah Lolicio because
1: you've been better. playing with him for like no- five years
2: no but purely on like talent and, and ability if you put him behind a, a forward pack that's being dominant going forward like the brumbies who performs better and i i would argue that carter gordon would perform better in that sort of a good stuff. hypothetical
0: potentially <laughs> it's all hypothetical i also like that your defining factor for a 10 when talking about carter gordon is the ability to break the line <laughs> which is famously not the 10th <laughs> job
2: Triple it doesn't threat, have mate. to be a 10's job but <laughs> <laughs> it, it helps
0: does It does help. It's going to be Noah. It's going to be Noah. I like Carter Gordon. We'll see him in gold in the next couple of years, but to take him to a World Cup spot would be a waste of a spot. All
2: right. Oh, I mean, realistically, this is the third. The, all of these three op- options are our third choice. If We're talking about who's going to go to the World Cup. It's Quade Cooper and Bernard Foley. Is
0: Bernie going no, to
2: mate. That, I disagree. I think so. Um, Bernard no.
1: Foley is the poor man's Quade Cooper, and if Quade is fit, Foley doesn't go um In my mind, it's like he's an experienced head who's been there, done that. And so, if you don't have Quade and you've got these young guys as the next ones, well, you bring Foley in to be that experienced player. That's that's my read on the situation. So we're assuming that Quade's Quade's being picked in this. But 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 guys, we've been going for nearly an hour and twenty minutes. We've got to stop here. So what I'm going to say is, Eddie Jones, you're welcome, Rugby Australia, you're welcome. We have chosen it. I think it's gone uh hooper valentini white and Gordon lolosio is that right is that is that who we've chosen donaldson donaldson yeah we've chosen every waratah available um hooper gleason gordon and donaldson so very well done there you go eddie jones it has been an absolute pleasure And either way, please let us know, ladies and gentlemen, your thoughts on these players in these positions. Feel free to bring up your own kind of criteria, your own selection criteria, because it seems pretty fast and loose with what we could actually be choosing them for anyway. So it's been a bit of fun. Uh, Mitch, thank you. Lockie, thank you. Really enjoyed chatting with you guys yet again about rugby. And so I hope you all have a wonderful week and can't wait to get back and chat some more rugby next week. So... Up the tars! Let's make it four from five. Let's go! Bye, Bye. everyone.
0: The reds. <laughs> Bye.